Praise God. Uh, as has been announced, when I am in town, this will be my session. Uh, until the Lord does something different, I guess. Thank you. And so, uh, I cannot tell you what I'll be teaching because I do not know, except that I will do my best to hear from God and share with you what He would have me to, to teach. Praise God. Um, it is my intention uh, to go deep. So, uh, uh, snorkel gear will not get you by in this session. Snorkel gear is for the purpose of staying on the surface and peeking to the depths. You, that's what you do with snorkel gear. You stay just below the surface and you look into the depths. But, uh, it is my intent, by the help of grace of God, that this would be a a um, a time for some scuba gear. If you have any spiritual scuba gear, just trying to give one last moment here for things to settle out a little bit. Uh, last week, hang on a minute. Praise God, that's a little bit better. Uh, last week, my wife and I had the privilege to be in um, New York State. Uh, in the United Pentecostal Church, New York uh, is divided into two separate districts. There's the New York City Metro District. It's actually called New York Metro District, but it's New York City, Long Island. And then the rest of the state... Uh, is uh, just the New York district. And I was with Brother and Sister Spite and their sons who have been here before for a Right Hand of God seminar in Rochester. My first time there. And I was uh, ministering and the Lord got me on a subject that I... realized as I was teaching that it's been a long time since I taught it here. And so when I was, uh, the pastor texted me today and said, are you available tonight? Are you going to be here teaching tonight? I said, yeah. Yeah, I will. And this came to me very clearly. And I'm not going to be teaching what I taught there, but the primary subject will be. And so if you have a Bible and you would like to turn, we're going to go to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Actually, forgive me, I'm going to use something else for my text. Uh, I'd like to use Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17. Isaiah 32 verse 17. Uh, and I'm going to go to the Amplified on that verse also after I read it, if you would please. 
The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. The Amplified reads, And the effect of righteousness will be peace, internal and external. And the result of righteousness will be quietness and confident trust forever. Now, as most of you know, my mother was attending a United Pentecostal Church when I was born. And I will say this to you. The very sincere, godly men who loved me enough to pastor me in the many different places in which I attended church when my dad was transferred from one place to the next. Um, the That which was taught us was that you become righteous by doing right. You become righteous by doing right. And for the first 18 years of my, actually 20 years of my ministry, 18 years of my pastorate here, I taught what I knew. I taught what was taught me, that you are righteous by doing right. And it makes sense to the flesh that you are righteous by doing right. And if you're not doing right, you are unrighteous. Uh, I got married on a Friday night, and I had to be at uh, work. I was in flight training. There was no leaves given for marriage. So I was at work on Monday morning. And uh, we went straight from... That, when the Lord uh, enabled me to be medically retired, I went from that immediately to evangelizing, and we traveled for approximately eight and a half months, uh, preaching every week, every weekend, uh, primarily in Mississippi, Florida, and South Carolina in those eight months, and then the Lord called us here. And we went straight from that to here, and her folks and my folks were living in, uh, my folks in Florida and her folks in Mississippi. So when we had vacation time, we went to, uh, we went to see family. And I don't mean this negative, but when you use vacation to go see family, it's not vacation. But, with as little funds as we had available and the fact that we were here by ourselves with no help, uh, we couldn't be gone more than five or six days. And so we would drive all day to get from here to down there, see them for a few days, turn around, drive back on Saturday and be in church on Sunday. 
And uh, it's, so we never had a vacation. So for our 20th wedding anniversary, we just, we decided to have a honeymoon, take our first vacation. Uh, that's honestly the truth. And the Lord had miraculously provided a little bit of funds to do this. And we went to Bermuda. And Bermuda is one of, it's been years and years since we've been there, but it's still one of our favorite places on earth. It's a very small area, uh, island area-wise, but it is beautiful everywhere. It's just beautiful. And we were there for uh, six days. Left here on a Monday, got back on Saturday. It's just, that's the life, okay? So we were there for six days, and uh, on the on Friday, which was the morning of our last full day there, my wife was sleeping in, and I was up early, and I was wrestling. I had been in very few places in my life that was any more beautiful than uh, Bermuda. In fact, off the top of my head, I can't think of any place with more be- beauty per square foot than Bermuda. Uh, everywhere you looked was beautiful, literally. And uh, in the midst of that beauty, I was struggling with myself. and I just, I had tried so hard, so hard to try to always do right. And kept failing and 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 part of a big part for a christian of doing right isn't what you do you're not supposed to do it's what you're supposed to do you don't do Uh, as a christian if your focus is just on not doing wrong you're already failing as a christian because the bible says he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And so a Christian, most of the sins committed by Christians is not what they do, it's what they don't do that they should do. And so I was struggling with me big time. And that Friday morning, I, I, I was at the end. I was just, I'd gone as far as I could go. And I remembered as clear as, as it could be, I was camped out in the bathroom with the door closed trying to pray and not wake my wife up. And uh, I remembered as clear as I'm standing here, I said, I give up, God. I'm a sinner. I've always been a sinner, and I'm always going to be a sinner. I just can't get it right. What I was wanting him to do was argue with me and say, no, 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 that's all right. It's, it's going to be okay. That don't, don't talk like that about yourself, honestly. That's what in the back of my mind he was going to do. But what he did was he let me pause. There was a little bit of that pregnant pause in the silence after I made my statement. And then he said, you're right. Wait, 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 wait. Let's back up here just a little bit. What do you mean I'm right? You're not supposed to agree with me. I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, I go to church. I, 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 I. And, and yet he said, no, you are a sinner. And you will always be a sinner. And then there was another pause. And then he said, but... 
I am in you. And I am good. And because I am in you and I am good, then you are good. And I am righteous. And because I am in you and I am righteous, then you are righteous. Well, when I say to you, I had never been taught anything like that in all of my life. This is 1988. I'm 42 years old. November 1988. I'd never been taught anything like that in my life. I'd never heard anything like that. How can I be a, a sinner, a hopeless sinner on one end, and yet I'm good and I'm righteous on the other? How is that possible? And I did not realize at that moment in that bathroom, trying not to wake my wife up, praying very intensely but silent, quietly, that that was to be the, the seed of one of the greatest revelations the Lord's ever given me. It's the revelation of what righteousness really is. I started studying. Some of you were here then. I never intended to teach or preach a series of messages on righteousness. That was never the purpose. But I studied and prayed, and every time, and every time, it came time to, for church, the Lord would give me a message on righteousness. And so I preached or taught. And that happened over and over and over again. In fact, for 33 straight services, Every service was on righteousness. Every service. You say, brother, that must have been boring. Boring? It was liberating. It was liberating. I don't know if anybody else received the liberation, but I did. In the, uh, in the Greek, there's a family of words that all come from the same root Greek word. He went that way. <laughs> that way. Yes, ma'am. Okay? There's a, there's a series of words. These words are translated by these following words. Right. Righteous. Righteousness. Just. Justify. Justification. These are all from the same root word. They're all interconnected. Whether they are verbs, nouns, adjectives, adverbs, they're all connected. They all are related. And the root, the shocking thing to me was when I found in the Greek reference works that the, the root idea of righteousness is Innocence. Well, the Bible says, if you've offended in one point of the law, you are guilty of the whole law. That principle alone is which all legal systems in the Western world are based. Even those countries that have forsaken God still base their legal systems on that. 
You don't go to jail because you committed all kind of crimes. You are punished for the crime you committed in proportion to the crime you committed. That's biblical. But if you go uh, in the state of Maryland, if you drive over 30 miles over the speed limit, that is at the very least a misdemeanor that is not a traffic violation. And it is very possible you could be put in jail for violating the speed limit by 30, by over 30 miles an hour. It's not a traffic violation. It's a misdemeanor. And you could tell that, uh, that officer when he pulls you over, wait, 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 you can't take me to jail. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't committed any crimes. I, I, I haven't stolen anything. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't have any drugs in the car. I don't have any concealed weapons. He's going to say, I'm not taking you to court or jail for all of that. You're not going to stand before a judge because of any of that. You're going to stand before a judge for, because of what you did do. And the Bible says, if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. Many years ago now, probably 15, 16 at least, I was preaching in the Toronto, Can Ontario, Can uh, Canada area. And uh, I was through preaching and, I, and they took me to the airport and I was early. And uh, this doesn't happen very often, but it's kind of a nice little side touch uh, to be able to sit up on one of those high seats, let somebody shine your shoes for $5. And I was early, and I didn't have anything to do, and that was before iPhones and iPads and all of that stuff where you just sat and stared, stared at the wall. And so I, I was walking by, and I saw this. I thought, uh, oh, yeah. Hey, they could use it. So I climbed up on the seat and the guy was Middle Eastern and he apologized to me. He said, I'm sorry. I just gave my last track away. And I said, and what was the content of that track? He said, oh, well, I'm Muslim and I'm witnessing to people here about uh, Islam. And I, I gave my last track away. I said, well, you know, you, you folks have been told some things about Christians. that's not true about all Christians. He said, oh, like what? And I said, first of all, not all Christians believe in the Trinity. He said, no, uh, that's, that can't be possible. I said, oh, it is. There's a lot of us, and I'm one of them. We don't believe in the Trinity. We only believe in one God. So if you've been told that all Christians believe in the Trinity, that, then you've been told wrong. And so we went on and on, and we talked a little while. And, and I finally said to him, uh, and, and what, what does a Muslim do to go to heaven? And he said, well... When you get to heaven, all of your good is going to be compared with all the bad. And if you've done more good than bad, then you're going to, you're going to be admitted into paradise. And I said, I got a question. In what nation in this world can a person who is guilty of a crime do enough good to become innocent? He paused and said, well, I don't know any. So would you admit, sir, that if a person has sinned, they, they have offended the law of God? Yes. Then, sir, tell me how you can possibly do enough good to no longer be guilty. He said, I, I've never heard anything like this before. 
I said, we Christians believe that the one true living God robed himself in flesh, came to this earth, and caused his, his flesh, his innocent flesh, to die in our place. He took our guilt upon him, and once he paid the price for that guilt, he was able to give us his innocence as a gift. A gift. In my growing up in Pentecost, I found we had it backwards, and it was preached backwards. It was preached that you were supposed to be holy when you received the Holy Ghost. And that you worked to be righteous. You worked hard, you tried hard to be righteous. You did right to be right. But when I studied the scriptures, I found out that it's exactly the opposite of that. Romans 5 says that righteousness is a gift. If I am guilty, the only possible way I can become innocent again is for someone to give me innocence as a gift. But you just can't give your innocence away. The person who is innocent has to take the penalty for guilt upon themselves and then give the person who's guilty and under the penalty of guilt, give them their innocence. That's all by faith. Right. It's by faith. Now, now. I'm not saying by faith alone. I'm talking about faith and how we're given that gift of righteousness. Because when you die by repentance to your old man and you're buried with Christ in the the waters of baptism, he is buried, we are buried with him by being baptized. He was put in a tomb We're put in a watery grave, and as he was resurrected to walk in newness of life and in righteousness, we are resurrected by receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And Galatians 3.27 says, For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We were created with the ability... Even from a little age with the ability to act like what we wear. What we wear, how we look, affects our actions. When I was probably five, six years old, I was given twin holsters. And a pair of Mattel Fanner 50s. And let me tell you something. Fanner 50s were more cool than all this electronic junk you get today. Cause it had, it, it didn't have these caps on a, on a strip. They had a little plastic thing with the caps and they fit right in the cylinder. And you, and it had a wide, wide hand, uh, uh, hammer, uh, on it and, and you could, Fan that thing and, and you could fire it off. You hold the trigger back and just kept doing it and it would fire. It was as close to a semi-automatic as you could get. 
And I had two of them. You hear me? I had twin holsters, worn low, tied down, cowboy boots, a cowboy hat, and an old used broomstick that my dad cut, cut the broom off for the horse. And I was a cowboy because what I put on determined who I was. Fifty years and a couple of months ago, I showed up on June the 30th, 1964 at the Naval Academy. I had a military background, both raised in the Navy and had was had joined the Navy as an enlisted man on my uh, the day the month after my 17th birthday in March 1963 and served it as, as in the enlisted Naval Air Reserve for a year and a half before going to the Naval Academy. And uh the first thing they did on the on the on induction day, the first thing all these guys, man, I mean, you know, all these guys, the Beatles had just come to town uh, just the last year or so. And so guys had gone from buzz cuts to starting to wear their hair long. It didn't matter who you were from, who you were, what you were. The way they changed you from a civilian to a military person was the first thing they did, and there was no ladies in, the, in, in it then, they took you in and cut all your hair off. When we showed up, no two of us looked alike. Before the day was over, they changed what we wore and gave us all the same hairstyle because they knew that the first step of transition was changing what you look like. Changing what you wear. They couldn't make us in the military men wearing civilian clothes and civilian hairstyles. That's what they did, you see. Well, when the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And for as many as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. All, all of that principle was involved there. I, I After I finished talking about that a little bit in uh, in Rochester a lady came up to me and she says Bishop right there's a word that keeps going through my mind and I said what's that she says hypocrite and I said you're right the hypocrites got it right in principle the word in the Greek hypocrite was the name of the mask used by Greek actors. And they would have a table in front of them, and they would have a mask with a, with a little stick on it, and it would, each one of them would be a different character, and the actor would pick up a mask, and from behind that mask, they'd change their voice and say the lines of that mask, lay that down, pick another one up. And, a, and one good actor could do a whole play behind the masks. And that word was spiritualized to talk about people who were pretending to be what they weren't hiding behind a mask. Isaiah 30 and 1, please. Isaiah 30 and 1. I caught you off guard. Uh, 
Let's read the Amplified. We may have to go back to King James. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take uh, counsel and carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make a... No, that's not it. Let's go, uh, let's go to the King James. Woe to the rebellious children that, take, that saith the Lord that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. The problem wasn't that they covered with a covering. It was the source of the covering. One more time. The problem wasn't that they were covering and then pretending from that covering to be somebody they weren't. The problem was the covering. Because Psalms 32, 1 says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is what? Covered. This is what salvation does. You act like what you're wearing. And if what you're wearing is the righteousness of Christ, you act like that. That's what you act like. You act like Christ. Not only that, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name and have put on the righteousness of Christ, and the Bible says that the Word of God, James, the book of James says, is the uh, is a is a mirror, and we look into the mirror of the Word. If you've got on the righteousness of Christ, what are you going to see in the mirror? What are you going to see in the mirror? You're going to see the righteousness of Christ. You're not going to see your old filthy, dirty self. If when you look in the Word of God, all you see is your old filthy, dirty self, somewhere you put the righteousness of God off and took back up your righteousness, which is as filthy rags. Because Isaiah 63 says, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So when I look in the Word of God, if I see Christ then I, and not me, the old me, then I am wearing His righteousness because it's a mirror. If I look at the mirror of the Word and all I see is this filthy old dirty self, I put off the righteousness that was given me as a gift. It's a gift. But I don't feel right doing that. No, no, no. You don't have the faith to do it. I've told this story all over the country. I don't know if I've ever told it here. But I don't think this is a big secret. I don't, I don't really care that much for birthdays. It's always been difficult. You sit there and people get up and say stuff. and I, I, I guess they mean it. But I'm sitting there going... That's not right. That's not right. That's sure not right. And so you're finally glad when they're done so we can go on and talk about Jesus because talking about me is uncomfortable. Well, it was a few months before my 60th birthday and years before that when 
my wife or the church or both were trying to do a surprise, I was stupid enough to use my giftings to figure out the surprise. Because I thought it was cool to be able to prove you can't surprise me because I can sense and read what's going on. Nobody had to tell me anything. Well, you know what? After I people had tried hard, and especially my wife, <laughs> I didn't have to go home with you. And I had disappointed everybody because I was too cool. I could figure all this out. I realized, hey, you're pretty stupid. You know, you really, you are because... When people are making that much effort to be nice to you and honor you, the least you could do is just turn everything off. So by the time we got around to my 60th birthday that was coming up, I had learned that lesson. So I was not trying to feel anything. I wasn't trying to see anything. I wasn't trying to feel anything. I had all my barriers up so that I couldn't sense what was going on. But every once in a while, a little something would bleed through, and I, I sensed that there was a big deal being made out of it. And I, nobody said anything to me, but I sensed that there were people actually flying in here to talk about me. It's not bad, it's not enough that somebody here has got to get up and say something, but they gotta, you gotta fly people in here to say some nice stuff. This is really good. And I'm fussing with the Lord. I'm fussing with the Lord over it. I'm fussing with Him. I can't take this. I can't take sitting there for a whole night while people say all this stuff and do all this stuff and I'm just complaining. I am. I'm, and I meant every word of it. I'll tell you what, <laughs> he finally said to me, you don't get it, do you? Well, when the Lord tells you you don't get it, you don't argue with him. You obviously didn't get it. He said, you've never understood. They haven't been talking about you at all. You and I both know who you really are and what you really are. They've been talking about me this whole time. But you were too focused on you and how wrong all this stuff was to even realize how well I've had you covered all these years. He said, not tell you what you do. You go and sit and let them talk. And when they say something that's really nice, that you and I know isn't really true about you. Just thank me that I've done such a great job of covering you. I did exactly that. I did exactly that. And from that day to this, I have not rejected people saying nice stuff because it's thrilling. If that's what you see and that's what you think, Oh, is Jesus doing a good job? I've said this. I'll say it. You may have heard me say it. I'll say it to you in this context. I have come to understand that the truest indicator of genuine spirituality is the amount of gap you see between your humanity as the earthen vessel 
and the operation of the treasure, which is God. There's never supposed to be. A, you're not spiritual because you can't see any gap between your treasure and the treasure and your earthen vessel. That's not spirituality. True spirituality is when you can see so you see more and more and more of a gap between this old earthen pot and the operation of God. You know, before. I was had my arm twisted by Jesus and the external board of trustees that I needed to be ordained a bishop. I, I, yeah, I, I had a personality. I had a name. I was Brother Wright, or I was Pastor Wright, or I was to the world. I was Reverend Wright. How often do you hear my name anymore? It's Bishop or the Bishop. You don't even need a name. You don't need a face. I, I realized that one day. The Lord said, I said, Lord, I don't even exist anymore. People don't even know what my name is anymore. It's the bishop or the bishop. He said, that's right. Because you don't have an office. The office has you. Because that office isn't you, and it's not yours. The office is me. And I expect you to be hidden in the office. Righteousness. Now hear, hear me. If all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and yet Romans 5.19 says, I believe, I believe it's 5.19, it says, that we receive righteousness or innocence as a gift. The work of righteousness is peace. I don't know your hearts. Sometimes it's very inconvenient to have spiritual sight. But that doesn't mean I see everything and know everything. Thank God. But, I mean, some of you are broadcasting your disruption of life some of you can't walk in here when there's no peace in your life somebody's about to get a revelation if you'll pay attention you can't walk in here when there's all kind of disruption and chaos in your life without communicating that So I'm in this service, you know, and I'm not in the pulpit that much. And that, I don't know if that's good or bad, because when, I, when I'm ministering, I'm focused in on what the Lord's wanting to say and try to be in tune with him so that he can speak and he can flow. But when I don't have that to be focused on, I don't want to know all this stuff. And here's the problem. Some of you think all this turmoil going on inside you has to do with your circumstances, your situation. Your family, your kids, your finances, your job, etc., your health, somebody else's health. Some of you sitting here right now, 
You think your lack of peace has to do with somebody else. But the work of righteousness, Isaiah uh, 32, 17 on the screen again, please. The work of righteousness is peace. And the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. So what's the problem if you don't have peace? You're still trying to be right by being good. Now, senior pastor was talking tonight about what we teach and don't teach here. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. (laughs) The book says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And I agree with him, you know, from a purely practical standpoint, it's pretty, I, I wish I had faith that people would abide by that. But the Greek word translated touch there means to start a fire. And I'll tell you something right now. When you're not married, you begin to touch. You get flesh involved in the equation. And at that point, your chance of finding, of knowing from God whether or not this person is the will of God for you is very, very, very low. Because you cannot be sensitive to the spirit while you got your flesh working big time starting fires and somebody else starting your fire. That's why I told both of my sons, and we will never know if I meant it, but if you know me, I meant it. I told them, I hope you pray and choose the right person to marry, because the day I find out you've slept with a girl, you and I are going to the courthouse to get a marriage license. In the story. Ask them if they believe me. Oh, they believe me. They believe me. So that's ridiculous. No, it's Bible. Because if you're going to start a fire, there's only one thing to do with it. You get married. And if you're not intending to marry her or him, you don't start a fire. The point he said tonight, if somebody, you know, I've been married 46 years in a month or so. And I'm here to tell you right now. We have had a long journey this last nine months, my beloved and I. And she's probably watching this right now. And, you know, every, every valley has a, has a blessing. And part of this blessing is she's looking fine. Okay? And I promise you right now, you want to find out how much Holy Ghost I don't have? Walk up and kiss my wife. I, you might beat me to a pulp, but you're going to have to work hard to do it. 
Because my Holy Ghost isn't going to stand back and say, you shouldn't have done that. No, that's one of those things you act first and you talk later. Because this body belongs to hers and her body belongs to me. And you have no right touching her. Well, when you're not married and you're kissing around on somebody, you're kissing around with somebody else's husband or wife. If that's not the person you're marrying. you got no business doing that. And there's a few of you sitting here. Uh, uh, <laughs> Just keep on telling me all you want me to know. Just, I'm listening. Just keep on talking to me. Well, we don't have any chance because we got to mess around and we got married. We didn't have a choice. So I, we must have missed God. No. The moment, <laughs> the moment you got married, that was the will of God. It might not have been the will of God before you got married, but once you got married, it was the will of God. You are now in the will of God. That's the will of God. It is the will of God for you to stay with that person that you're married to. That's the will of God. It's the will of God. Righteousness is a gift. The peace that you and I can have when we realize our salvation is not determined by our record this is just like the pastor said that this I'm not giving anybody excuse to sin. This isn't a license to sin. The Bible says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's not what it's talking about. But the bottom line is this. I'm not holding this microphone tonight because I'm the perfect person and the perfect example. The only thing I'm a perfect example of, saved by grace. You know what being saved by grace really means? I may talk about this more in my next session, if the Lord wills. We hear the term legalism. Legalism. If you preach a person supposed to obey uh, the Word of God and do things, that's legalistic. That, you know what that proves? That proves that person doesn't have a clue what the law was, what the purpose of the law was, what the problem with the law was. Read Romans 7. There was nothing wrong with the law. The problem, there, there wasn't anything that God said in the law. He changed his mind on. God can't change. The things in the, in the law, the, the, the part of the law that talked about what was good and what was not good, what was right, what was wrong, that part of the law can't change because that's God. And if God changes, he's a liar. You can't do away with that and say God doesn't mean any of that anymore. None of that's important anymore. That's not what that was all about. The problem was the law was given. This is right. This is wrong. Do this. Don't do this. But the problem with the law was the means whereby we were supposed to do and not do. It was flesh. And Romans 8 says that the problem was the law, well, the law was it was weak through the flesh. The flesh couldn't do it. And even though we're not under, or we're not, we're in the New Testament dispensation, the flesh still can't 
do it. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You didn't get saved through the flesh. Everything that you did to get saved, you had to let God save you as a free gift. At what point did you stop accepting and believing and practicing salvation as the impartation of the gift of innocence, of righteousness, and you started trying to earn your way to heaven? At what point did you do that? Paul said to the Galatians, you've begun in the Spirit, but now, now, Now you're trying to keep the law by the flesh again. The Spirit got you out of bondage to to that. Not bondage to the Word of God, the rights and wrong as God sees it, but the bondage to the fact that your flesh was incapable of doing that. My flesh, your flesh is incapable. It is impossible. God knew when he gave the law that it was impossible for man to keep it. God knew that. God knew it was impossible. Well, what are we supposed to do? Not try? Oh, yeah, you got to try. You got to try and fail and 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 try and fail. Till finally you give up on you, not give up on God. Where you give up on you trusting yourself, your flesh, and your ability, and you let His Spirit, which is new, this is New Testament, empower you. What was the promise of the New Testament? I'm going to put my Spirit in you. I'm going to write my law on the fleshly tables of your heart. And I'm, and by my Spirit, I'm going to cause you. I'm going to cause you to walk by according to my statutes i'm going to cause you to keep my words he, he he didn't mean he was going to do that by threatening us he meant that we're going to die out to ourselves our attempt you know what you know what trying to be good is all about it's pride it's pride trying to live right it's pride trying to do right is pride And when you finally get sick of failing, you're going to give up on you. Cast yourself on the mercy of God and learn to let the Spirit of God live through you and enable you and empower you to do right. And when you get there, peace, there's no pressure. There's no pressure. Living for God's not hard. It's really easy. It's only hard when you're trying to do it through your ability. I don't care what testament you're a part of. I don't, I don't care if you talk in tongues every day. If after you get through talking in tongues, the, 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 the strength and the power, the ability behind your efforts to obey God is your own human strength and ability, you might as well not have the Holy Ghost. You've begun in the Spirit, but you're now in the flesh. And you're going to fail. And failing is the plan. And you've got to fail until you finally give up on you. And simply begin to learn to rely and trust on Him. Because the work of righteousness, innocent work in, innocence working in your life. Well, how does innocence work in your life? Pointing out that you're guilty. 
When you fail, you're guilty. Innocence, the righteousness of God proves that you're guilty when you fail. So should I give up? No. I need to realize that I can't do this myself. The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace is the work of the Spirit in our lives, empowering us to do what we cannot do ourselves. Oh, man. The preacher gets up, do right, live right, do right, live right, do right, live right. It's all true, but it doesn't change it, doesn't it? No. And so we sit there and turn it off. I know I'm supposed to live right. I know I'm supposed to do right. You're not telling me something I don't know. How about tell me how? Live right, do right. Yeah, I need to live right. I need to do right. But I can't do that myself. I can't do it myself. <laughs> Galatians 2.20, please. I'm quitting. Paul said, I am, not I was, not, not I will be, not someday at my death. I am crucified. That t- tense in the Greek there, uh, the v- tense of the verb in the Greek there is a, is an action that is completed in the past that continues to have effect today. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I, when? Not in heaven. Right now. The life that I now live in the flesh. I live by. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say I live by faith in the Son of God. No. I live by the faith of the Son of God or the Son of God's faith who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse challenged me for years and years and years, but there was something in me that didn't want that. I don't, I, I don't want that. Could the devil convince me that if I allowed that to happen in me, I would be some kind of zombie, spiritual zombie, some kind of Christian zombie, this automaton that had no personality and no, nothing, no life left anymore. I would just be, I would just be automatically going around and, and, and all the life going on in me would be somebody else. I know that sounds stupid, but that's what, it was so undesirable to me. My, my, my faith knew it was necessary, but I dreaded it and I resisted it and resisted it. And when I finally in desperation allowed it to happen, I got mad because I'd been lied to. I got mad at me for believing the lie and mad at the devil for lying to me because it was the most liberating, awesome thing that had ever happened to me. It took all the pleasure out of living for God. It took all the all the pressure out of living for God. It took all the pressure out of the ministry. Because I'm not doing any of this. He's all doing. He's doing all this through me. Final verse. Next verse. 
Let me read this one before you go. Don't go, go quick, go quick, go, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Before they, they read it. <laughs> I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Next verse. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Oh, I love you folks so much. And it's so painful to sit here and feel how many of you are frustrated. Some of you frustrated out of your mind. You don't know how you're going to make it another day. You don't know how you can keep going on because you are so frustrated. That's the number one word in your vocabulary to describe your life and how you live. Frustrated. Well, if you think you're frustrated, check God in his grace. Because he's sitting there with the ability to help you with all of this and take all the stress out of that. Take all the pressure out of that. And give you peace and quietness and calm, confident assurance. But you won't let him do it. Because you're determined to earn your way. You're determined to do it yourself. To win it yourself. To accomplish it yourself. To get there yourself. Trust me when I tell you. Excuse the vernacular, but it ain't never going to happen. And you're going to get so weary in well-doing that you're either going to give up on you and finally let God be God in your life or you're going to give up on God and walk away. And that doesn't leave anybody in this room out or anybody that's listening to this now or watching sometime later. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Is that true in your life? Or have you not gotten there yet? I got stuff going on in my life. Just nothing's changing. I'm praying for God to change this and change that. Nothing's changing. You know why? Because the only thing you've got any influence over in your life when it comes to change is you. And God isn't changing your circumstances Till you first let him change you. He is not. You can pray all you want. You can be the most powerful prayer person that's ever been. And God's not listening and not changing your circumstances. Till you first let your circumstances change you. Why? Because he loves you that much. It's not original with me and it's not in the Bible. But it's true anyway. God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are. And friend, trust me, I got 68 years plus of experience with Jesus. And he is more stubborn than you are. And he wants what's best for you so badly. He's not going to give in. And the only way you can get your circumstances to change 
without finally letting God do his work in your life is throw up your hands, quit, and just accept the fact you're going to burn in hell forever in exchange for a few minutes or hours or days or weeks of relief from your stress here. I'm not making that trade. I'm not making that trade. The work of righteousness is peace. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with what? Filled with righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his And all these things shall be added unto you. If you're seeking for your circumstances to change, and you have not died out to Jesus, died out your flesh, and allowed the grace of God to begin to do the work in and through you, then you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And nothing's being added. It's not being added. There's nothing but a slab over there. And here in the next while when we can finally get the county to cooperate with us somehow whatever, even that's going to be gone. They're going to come and take all that concrete up because of what's going to be built in its place and it can't be built over that. And there won't be anything left of what was there. But the Word of God says, Paul said, all things that were gained to me I have counted, have counted, past tense, lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but excrement. Just. Use the elimination, not worth salvaging, not worth grieving over the loss of it, because what I've gained is so value, so valuable, that the what's been eliminated from my life is not even worth talking about because of what I gained. Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you for every person that's sitting here. By your grace, I have said what you gave me to say, not adding to it or taking away from it. I commit this word into these hearts, minds, spirits, lives, that you would be able to bring these things to pass in these lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it, right? Okay. Thanks for, thanks for being here. I thought there would probably be just two or three people and we just have a little chat. But 
you have made it very enjoyable. Thank you. Hello. Well, it was enjoyable for me. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed ministering to you. I, I don't know if you enjoyed listening, but God bless you. <laughs>